0: Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... After the franchise tag deadline passes, what to expect heading into NFL free agency next week, plus buying the hype on expectations in the second half of the NBA season. And who are the favorites ahead of NCAA Selection Sunday? It's episode 17 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. let me speak episode 17 coming at you here on thursday march 11th 2021 today's a good day here in Swampscott, massachusetts we're hitting near 70 degrees in the month of march it's an absolutely beautiful day sun's not shining just yet but i'm definitely gonna get myself outside because it is a beautiful day it's a little bit breezy though that's why i I gotta stick to inside, cause the breeze—that breeze is just gonna hit you, and it's gonna get in the way of you hearing my true thoughts on the sports' biggest news. And we got some huge news coming at you, starting with the NFL offseason. We're already talking about one of the most hyped and most eventful NFL offseasons in recent memory, from what I can remember. Talking about all the quarterback movement, all the free agency, but. We're starting to see the dominoes fall down just a little bit after the deadline for the franchise tag has passed. And one minor news story before we get into things. The salary cap is going to be down 8% this year to $182.5 million for every team. So just keep eyes on that. But that did not stop Dak Prescott from getting an insane amount of money. From the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, that is the biggest news from the NFL. Dak Prescott finally getting that long-term deal with Dallas. Signing a four-year, $160 million extension after signing the franchise tag. And get this. For guaranteed money, he's getting $126 million. $126 million guaranteed. On his contract. I mean talk about a snag. For Dak Prescott. Because I mean. Remember what happened last offseason. He didn't sign the extension. He took that chance on himself. And really he just left it up to Dallas. I mean we'll get to the injury in a little bit. But he banked on himself. He got hurt. And really then it was just up to Dallas. If they really wanted to keep him. Or if Prescott was going to move on somewhere else but I mean honestly I couldn't really see him going anywhere else I I didn't see a realistic opportunity unless something huge happened you know with Dallas transitioning from Tony Romo a lot of questions were going to be oh where's the future going to be and obviously Dak Prescott comes in fills in the role and has been one of the most steady quarterbacks in the NFL, A little inconsistent. We're not going to put him in that elite level, but he's definitely one of the best. And honestly, like I said, Prescott had the leverage. Like I said, he took the chance on himself, and it paid off for him. He still got the money despite the horrible injury that he got. And really, the injury is what I think gave Dallas the best chance to retain Prescott as their quarterback. Because there are a lot of questions for Prescott about what is he going to be like. You know, there are reports saying that he will be 100% come April. But you still don't know that with a gruesome injury like that. I mean, we talk about guys like Gordon Hayward in the NBA who had that same injury. We talk about Alex Smith who had an even worse injury. We don't know if they're going to be the same. We don't know if Prescott is going to be the same guy. Because it was a horrible injury. But there's still a ton of questions, though. It's a ridiculous amount of money guaranteed. I mean, only Patrick Mahomes is going to get more than that. Obviously, with the mega deal he signed a while back. But then you see like other, other players like Rodgers or Wilson and Brady who aren't making that much. But like I said, I think there's still a ton of questions about Prescott and this Cowboys team. Remember... All the drama that they had once Prescott got hurt. I mean, even before the injury, Dallas was 1-3 before that game against the Giants when he got hurt. They were 1-3. And, and in 14 of the 16 games that Dallas played, they allowed 20 points or more. Over 20 points. So that defense needs to get better by 200%. Because we know that Dallas has the weapons. We know they have... Prescott who even when he's at 80% I would say is a top 15 top 20 quarterback in this league then you have Ezekiel Elliott obviously he's not the the stud that he once was but Dallas clearly has faith in him and in their backup don't forget Tony Pollard he had a great year in 2020 as well and then of course Amari Cooper you're clear and obvious number one who will continue to put up monster numbers but like I said that defense needs to get better for this Dallas team those are the two big things can Dallas get better defensively and will Prescott be the same quarterback he once was because you have these guys who might be a little timid in their mobility and Prescott he's a runner as much as he's a thrower so he might be wanting to lean on some of his pocket passing and some of his throws rather than maybe being a mobile quarterback that he once was, but that's still going to be down the road. There's still a whole offseason where Dallas can make some move and pick up some options, but Prescott obviously wasn't the only one who got the franchise tag. I mean, let's talk about the Buccaneers tagging Chris Godwin as their wide receiver. Godwin's going to get paid almost $16 million and Tampa, they just couldn't afford to lose him this off season. I mean, Some would argue he's the number two wide receiver in Tampa. And he's taking targets from Evans, Cameron Brait, and don't forget a returning O.J. Howard, just to name a few. Of course, we have Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, but they are free agents. We don't know if they will be back with Tampa just yet. But Chris Godwin is super important to that Tampa team. It was going to be very hard that, that would have been a huge loss for Tampa if they let him go somewhere else. So I think it was smart to get the tag on him. I think Godwin, he would have been happy either way if he signed for a ton of money elsewhere or if he returned to Tampa. I mean, he got that ring. He got the Super Bowl ring. Now it's all about just getting the money. And really for, I think the tag on Godwin really helped re-sign Levante David, the longtime buck, to that two-year deal because you're saving a ton of money. Think about if Godwin wasn't tagged, he'd probably be commanding a little bit more than that. Maybe around the 18 to $20 million range. So you free up that space to get back Levante, David. There's still a couple questions for Tampa regarding Shaq Barrett. As I mentioned, Gronkowski, Fournette, Brown, uh JPP, and all these guys. All those guys have a ton of options. But this is a good start here for the Super Bowl champs to get their number two wide receiver under the franchise tag. And another wide receiver who got the tag was Allen Robinson. Now, a lot of people were arguing that this was the top free agent on the market if he ate, if he hit free agency. But the Bears, they didn't want to lose him. They did not want to lose him. Remember, this was an offense that struggled in 2020, and they just barely made it by the hair on their chin to get into the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. But they were 26th in yards per game. That offense struggled. And this is the biggest target, as I mentioned. He's now off the market. And this is going to be even more important because now we're learning over the past few weeks that the Bears are on Russell Wilson's wish list. So maybe they could pull out a deal and Russell Wilson can finally get some offensive weapons. But really, any quarterback that comes in, you had to keep Allen Robinson. That's your number one. That's your game changer. You had to keep him if you were Chicago. Had to keep Allen Robinson. So the number one wide receiver target on the free agency market is now off the table. He's going to Chicago. He's going to stay in Chicago. And other teams are going to have to look for a plan B if they had intentions of signing Allen Robinson. And another player that teams might have to turn away from Justin Simmons the free safety from the Denver Broncos signing the tag over 13 and dollars and what a year he had in 2020 I mean five interceptions tied for fourth in the league I think he put himself in the category of one of the best safeties in the league and I think if Denver can hold on to Von Miller and Brad, and they hold on to Bradley Chubb keep them around it really they're not going to be AFC West favorites, but at least it's going to keep them around because the offense just has to, to catch up defensively. Because I, I think the defense for Denver, that's been a mainstay of their team since their Super Bowl years when they had Peyton Manning as their quarterback. It was their D that really carried them along. So you sure up that D, and then you just improve on the offensive end. You can hang around in the AFC West. I'm not going to say they're going to be incredible they're not going to be you know 10 and 6 or something like that but I think just a couple more years and they're going to get better because it's a stacked AFC West you got obviously the Chiefs but then you've got the Raiders who just missed out on the postseason last year you've got the Chargers with the rookie of the year Justin Herbert you know they're going to get better so it's going to be a tight AFC West and I think Denver getting Justin Simmons back will really help them out and keep them at least in semi-contention for that division. Now, in terms of players who didn't get the franchise tag, I think there are a lot of big-name players out there. One of them I looked at most particular was Aaron Jones. I mean, the running back, he was the fourth-leading rusher in 2020 for Green Bay. And I think the Packers really need to lock him up because he's providing that relief for Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be able to do everything. He's not going to be able to get it to Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard and MVS. Not going to be able to do that. In this league, you need a balanced attack. You can't put it on the quarterback every single time. That's what we saw in the Super Bowl with Tampa. How they were able to beat the Chiefs. Because they had a balanced attack with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. And Tom Brady was able to do his magic with all those weapons. Aaron Jones needs to stay... With Green Bay. Because if the Packers not tagging him. They better be hoping that they can pick. back. They better be hoping that they can get him on a long term deal. Because he's probably. I would say maybe Aaron Rodgers best running back. That he's had in his entire Green Bay career. And he's had a lot of them. I know some people might argue Eddie Lacy. But where's Eddie Lacy now? Not in the league. And. He just provides that relief for Aaron Rodgers, and you got to remember the kind of market that he's going to get. There are a ton of teams that might be looking for a running back, like Seattle, looking for Seattle. The Jets, got to get the New York Jets in there. They're looking for a running back. And even the Cardinals, who just picked up J.J. Watt, they might not re-sign Kenyon Drake, so why not just replace him with Aaron Jones? That'd be a great pickup for the Cardinals, but... Aaron Jones, you got to watch out for because if he doesn't sign with Green Bay, he's going to get a ton of money elsewhere. Now, I had mentioned the Seahawks earlier on. How about their cornerback, Shaquille Griffin? Arguably their number one. I mean, what did Seattle struggle with most in 2020? Defense. And what led to their loss versus the Rams in the wildcard round? Defense. And what does Seattle need to improve? Heading into 2021 to help out Russell Wilson if he sticks around. Defense. I mean, he's one of the most important defenders in Seattle. They have to re-sign him. I mean, who else is there on defense from this past year that you could trust in 2021? Not a lot of guys. But Griffin is that number one corner. And yes, he did get burned a little bit in the in the past year. But he's one of those names you got to keep around he's providing that youth in the transition him and Jamal Adams can help in that defensive backfield because you've got aging guys like KJ Wright Bobby Wagner at the linebacker position okay so they they don't scream out youth they don't scream out youth Shaquille Griffin to me is one of the most important defenders that Seattle needs to keep because you have a ton of teams out there that are looking to improve. And Griffin, he's shown it for a couple of years now. He might be one of the best cornerbacks that we have in this league. Probably top 10, I would say. Not necessarily a shutdown guy, but he's someone that you can rely on. And nine teams out of 10 would definitely pick him up. So Shaquille Griffin, keep your eyes on him. He might garner a big market as well if Seattle can't sign him. And then obviously... Some people may have seen this coming. Some might not have seen this coming. But Hunter Henry not getting the tag from the LA Chargers. I mean, now we're looking at the best and biggest tight end who's in free agency right now. And he was arguably, I know people will say Keenan Allen, but this might have been Hunter Henry's favorite target. I mean, every team would want to go to Hunter Henry. He's a blocker. He's a pass catcher. He's a do-it-all tight end. And Henry might want to go to a winning organization other than the Chargers. But we're looking at teams that need tight end help. We're looking at the Patriots who might want to pick him up. Possibly the Chicago Bears. Maybe replacing Jimmy Graham for someone younger and healthier. Looking at. A variety of teams the Vikings who might want to upgrade from Kyle Rudolph I mean there are a ton of teams that could use Hunter Henry's assets so him not getting tagged is absolutely huge I think me personally he's one of the best tight ends and I would say the best tight end on the market and I'll put him over Rob Gronkowski I put him over Kyle Rudolph I think he's young and like I said, he can do it all, and every team who needs a tight end and wants a tight end should be looking at Hunter Henry just to see what his price tag is at. So those are the couple names that might get untagged, and it's going to be very exciting because March 17th, six days from today, is when teams can start signing elsewhere. We've seen some small deals, but we're really going to see a pickup come Wednesday when truly The most hectic NFL offseason will begin. On to topic number two, and tonight is the night we get to see the NBA. Back in action. They kick off their second half. A bunch of great games. We got the Celtics and the Nets. Got almost every team. Really, it was last night that kicked it off. uh, Just a handful of games. But tonight is really a night when a lot of teams get back into it. And just some quick notes from what I saw from All-Star Weekend. uh, Just, it it felt different. It just, that's all it is. And it might be, it's, it's the pandemic, obviously, that makes it feel different. But... I mean, all-star game was a runaway. I mean, happy for Giannis. I kind of predicted. I remember uh, I was at my part-time job, and I was talking to one of my coworkers watching the game, and I was saying, you know what? I think Giannis or Steph Curry are going to be the ones to go after MVP. And then watching in that first quarter, I said, okay, Giannis is definitely going to get this. And sure enough, he goes the entire game without a miss. And this, this year just felt different. I think... You know, the the skills challenge, I'm not a big fan of. I don't like the head-to-head. I think it's too simple. I like it back in the days when we saw Jason Kidd, Dwayne Wade, Steve Nash. When we saw dribbling, passing, shooting. You know, that old course I really like. And the three-point shootout, I mean, kind of expected to see Steph Curry win that. And then the slam dunk, it was just kind of eh just kind of obviously different format, not as many guys obviously cuz they don't want to travel because of the pandemic, but this year just felt a little different. It it felt different. Not my favorite, but you know, I I I've been saying this for years and years. The skills challenge needs to go back to the old way cuz the head to head is nice, but you got to have more than just dribbling, passing, making a layup and shooting the three. You got to put it everything. You got to do everything. But All-Star Weekend is in the past, and let's talk about this upcoming second-half season. And we're going to play a little game called Believe the Hype. There are a lot of storylines out there for a couple of teams in the NBA, and possibly some headlines that might be making the news after the end of their first half. And basically, we're going to decide if we can be- if we believe the hype or if we don't believe the hype. And it's going to coincide with one of my favorite segments we do, known as... Hot takes. Oh, hot, 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 hot. Hot, 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 hot. hot. So, obviously, the big story has been where Blake Griffin signed. The Brooklyn Nets picking up yet another piece, getting Blake Griffin on a veterans minimum deal, $1.9 million. And he's going to be the sixth man small ball center for this Brooklyn Nets team. And, Some are saying that the Nets are now the favorites for not only the East, but for the NBA title. And I say you should not believe the hype yet. You should not believe the hype. Because after Brooklyn made the deal for James Harden, and what we've seen recently in the first half, there are two things that they've needed to upgrade. Defense and depth. Okay? Blake Griffin, I think, helps with the depth. Because you got a nice seven to eight man rotation, adding Griffin in there, coming off the bench, and being a small ball center. But he doesn't help your defense in any which way. I talked about this two weeks ago, but this Nets team cannot defend. If they put up 120, they'll allow 125. So I am not a believer just yet because Blake Griffin, he's not known as a defender. You don't know Blake Griffin to be an explosive lockdown defender. You see him as a finisher and an offensive threat. I mean, credit, he's only averaging 13 points in his 20 games, but that's just because he's had injury history. Injury history has been crucial. Because I think Blake Griffin, he doesn't have to exert as much, but he's got to do better on the defensive end. And like I said, he's not known as a defender. But if they're asking him to be their small ball center, that means he's going to have to guard centers in the East like Giannis or Embiid or even Bam Adebayo if the Heat get in. Those are some very tough tasks where even if you look through that starting lineup of Kyrie, Harden, Durant, Griffin Jordan, or even Joe Harris... I don't think anyone's going to be able to stop them. Any of those three guys. So I'm not believing the hype that the Nets are the favorite for the East. Because again, like I've said, we still haven't seen the big three play enough games. The big three being Durant, Harden, and Irving. And then you add on Blake Griffin. Obviously, he's not going to play tonight against the Celtics. But we don't know how he's going to incorporate. If he's going to improve that defense or if he's going to make this team any better. Obviously, Griffin's a great player. But is he past his prime, though? He's entering his 30s. We don't know if he can be as impactful as people think because he's not a defender and he's got a ton of injury history. So that will be a storyline to watch for in this second half. Now, switching conferences, though. Another team that's been hot at the end of the first half, the Phoenix Suns. And as of right now, they're sitting in the second seed in the Western Conference. And some may say... That the Suns will have the best record in the Western Conference. And to that I say, don't believe that hype. Don't believe it. Because I still think this team is still going to be a number four team, a number four seed at least. But we're talking the Utah Jazz. We're talking the LA Lakers. We're talking the LA Clippers. I think this is a great team that has a lot of great weapons outside of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. I mean, let's talk about guys like Dario Saric, like Jay Crowder, like Mikhail Bridges, even a resurgent Frank Kaminsky coming into the game. We're starting to see the offense pick up with the defense. I mean, they're third in opponent's points per game, but I think that West is just so stacked that they're, they do a ton of shuffling. I don't think they're going to be the best. I think... The Jazz are more put together than the Suns. I think the Lakers are going to be better once Anthony Davis comes back. And I think the Clippers are really starting to find their groove. Paul George continuing a great bounce back year. I think the Suns, they're going to have one of the four best records in the West. But I don't think they're going to have the best record. Because let's also, don't forget that Devin Booker missed the All-Star game because of a knee injury. We don't know if that thing's going to linger or not from one of the sharpshooters of this game. But I still like the Phoenix Suns to get that top four seed, just not that number one seed in the Western Conference. And speaking of a team who had the number four seed for a long time, talking about in the Eastern Conference, though, the New York Knicks. What a resurgence from the Knicks. I think now they're sitting in the fifth seed right now as the the hot stretch by the Celtics overtook them for that fourth seed. But... The way the Knicks are right now, they would be back in the playoffs. And honestly, that hype, I'm going to believe the hype. But I'll put a disclaimer at this. Is that I think they can make the playoffs, but they can at least make the play-in. Okay, they might not get that automatic berth, but I think they can at least get the play-in. Because they've got a ton of pieces now. Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, even Reggie Bullock. Great shooter. But they're going to get healthier as well. Mitchell Robinson's going to come back from that hand injury. Austin Rivers will be back. Derrick Rose will be back. Might even see some playing time from Taj Gibson. So I think they're going to help the offense a lot. And the defense is already great at the helm of Tom Thibodeau. Already great. But you have to look at where the Eastern Conference is. It's so congested right now that, to me, I think teams who are getting hot like the Miami Heat... The Charlotte Hornets, the Indiana Pacers, and I'll even throw in the Washington Wizards if they can find a good stretch. I think they could overtake the Knicks, depending on what kind of stretch they go through. But I think you'll see the Knicks at least in the play-in game. Because remember, it's the top 10 teams that are going to make the postseason. I say postseason in quotation marks. We're not talking 1 through 8. So postseason, at least a 9 or a 10 for this Knicks team. I really do. I think the Knicks are going to get back to the playoffs but then going back to the Western Conference a team that's sitting outside the postseason in the play-in right now are the Pelicans the New Orleans Pelicans some might say over the past couple of weeks seeing what Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram have done for this team that they can get themselves to the postseason with a great run and I honestly am gonna believe that hype because I think they can make that play-in for sure But just those seeds 7 through 10 in that Western Conference is going to be so fascinating to watch. Because you have teams that are so congested right now, like the Warriors and the Mavericks and the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, just to name a few of them. But I think with the help of Zion starting to get his legs under him, I mean, he made the all-star team, for crying out loud. He made the all-star team in his second year at 20 years old. Zion can do it. The way he plays. Brandon Ingram. I think he's a great shooter as well. Maybe one of the more underrated players this league has. Because he was an all-star. A year ago. But. I think they can at least get to the ninth spot. Because I think the Mavericks are coming together. Kristaps Porzingis is getting healthier. And he's going to help out. Luka Doncic. I think the Golden State Warriors are going to get better. Steph Curry is going to continue to lead this team. And I think they're going to be ahead of him. But. From what we've just recently heard about the Spurs, that they're not going to have LaMarcus Aldridge. And then the Grizzlies, obviously they haven't played as many games as most teams in the Western Conference. I think they can overtake them. So they're kind of in that middle ground right there. But I think a number nine spot would be perfect, perfectly reasonable for a team like the Pelicans with all the weapons they have. Lonzo Ball is improving his shooting. J.J. Reddick's a great shooter off the bench if they want to keep him. Eric Bledsoe, Jackson Hayes. I mean, I I believe the hype in the Pelicans that they can get at least to the ninth seed or to the play in. But, I mean, we're only talking at the beginning of the second half. There's still plenty of action left to be played during this NBA season. Around this time this year, everyone gets excited because March means March Madness. And wouldn't you know it, this Sunday, March 14th, is NCAA Selection Sunday. We're finally going to see who's going to make March Madness. And I think this year just feels a little different because there was no March Madness last year. So it's kind of like, oh, we got to remember what this feeling is like. Because there was no March Madness. We're finally going to get it. It's going to be back. And there's just a ton of parody in this NCAA season with all of the COVID issues that they've been dealing with. And you see a lot of teams like Duke. How about the Duke Blue Devils? They might not make the NCAA tournament. That would be incredibly shocking. Incredibly shocking. Just to see where this team has been in their history, now they're not gonna make the postseason. That is unbelievable. It's it's disbelief. It's like when the Spurs miss the playoffs and the Patriots miss the playoffs. It's like these dynasties are like heading downwards. They're on a downward trend. But let's talk about the teams that we know for sure are gonna get in the NCAA March Madness tournament. And We already know who the overall number one seed is going to be, and that is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I mean, undefeated heading into March Madness. But I just look back four years ago in 2017 because they were the number one seed then, but they couldn't even get past the Sweet 16. They just couldn't. That's like similar to I believe it was Wichita State maybe before then who were a number one seed. But they just played teams that were better than them, even though they were undefeated. So this Gonzaga team, you can't put a ton of faith in them because they haven't reached past the Sweet 16. They haven't gotten themselves to the Elite Eight or the national championship, and that's just because of the conference that they play in. They're not in the Big 12, the ACC, the SEC, anything like that. So many might wonder if this is the year that they finally turn that around. Honestly. I think if there's a team that can win the rebounding battle against them, I think they can upset them. Because, yes, they have Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy, but they've been looking good all year long, but what's going to happen when they play a team from the Big 12 like in Oklahoma? Or if they have to play a Kansas? Or if they have to play a Virginia? Just to name a few teams. What is going to happen there? I think any team that can win the battle on the block and win the rebounding battle... I think they could definitely upset Gonzaga. But this could be a year that Gonzaga finally does it. Like I said, there's so much parity and so much change going around in NCAA men's basketball that really anyone could win it. But that's the easy pick because they are the overall number one seed, but they just don't have the history of being successful as a number one seed. I think if they can at least make the championship game, then your confidence might start to build as the years go along. But another easy pick, I mean, you got to talk about Baylor. The Baylor Bears, I mean, that's another easy pick. They were the number one for a couple of weeks in the AP poll, and then they dropped, I believe it was one game. They've only had one loss this entire year, and they're probably going to be a number one seed. But the reason they're successful is their shooting and their small ball. I mean, almost 43% from three-point range. And they just have a ton of small ball. Uh, Potential number one pick, Jared Butler, leading the way. I think the Big 12 might get some love. We'll see Baylor have a successful year. Because the, the way Baylor plays when you're in the Big 12 is you're just tough. You're physical. You take over the game. Baylor's... A little bit of the opposite. They just shoot. You know, sometimes Big 12 teams would dominate inside in the paint. Not this Baylor Bears team. I think Baylor might be, so far right now, they're looking like my pick. It's still early, and we haven't seen the bracket come out just yet. So anyone who's listening, don't take my word for any of this. But early on, I would say Baylor would be my pick so far to win the tournament obviously it depends on the drawing and where they end up in the bracket and stuff like that but until we set in stone what this bracket is going to look like Baylor might be so far my pick for when I fill out my bracket but you got to watch out for teams that have a lot of history like Virginia who won the last March Madness in 2019 I mean Think about the redemption story. I think it's one of my favorite stories. Virginia drops to a 16 seed in 2018. The first time it's ever been done. Ever been done that a one loss to a 16. And what do they do the year after? They go all the way and they win the national championship. That's a great story. And obviously the team is different from two years and three years ago. But Virginia, they have the championship history where projections are that they are a number four seed but that could still change watch out for a team like Virginia to make a run and also Villanova another team with championship history remember they had two national championships in three years remember that so head coach Jay Wright he's got the experience watch out also for Villanova they Remember, they had teams where no one expected them to make a postseason run, which I will say that the championship game in 2016 against North Carolina with Chris Jenkins winning it at the buzzer, one of my favorite games in recent history. One of my favorite because it looked like North Carolina was going to win. Then Villanova pulls it out at the buzzer. Unbelievable game to watch. Villanova has this kind of history. So keep an eye out for the Wildcats from Villanova. And then another sneaky team that might not have the championship history, but Oklahoma State. I got to watch them a couple weeks ago, and Cade Cunningham looks like he's going to be a top-five pick in this year's NBA draft. I think he can lead the way for the Cowboys from the Big 12. And there's always that team that pulls off that Cinderella run, possibly... Obviously, not a Cinderella as like an 11, but one of these mid-ranging teams, like a 4 or a 5. Oklahoma State looks like there's going to be in that range, possibly a 3, depending on what happens. But Oklahoma State, if they can ride what Cade Cunningham has been doing these past couple of weeks at the end of the Big 12 season, the Cowboys could make a run. But they could also get upset very early if they lean on him too much. So Oklahoma State might be one of those teams that... You got to watch out for. But going back to what I was saying about the parody, I mean, the fact that the, the one and done, there's a ton of inexperienced young teams that it's just so hard to pick. That's why you need more time, or at least me, I need more time to pick a Cinderella team because you know, you don't know who's going to be the 11, 12, 13 seeds like that. That's why with this one and done, why I mentioned earlier how Virginia lost to a 16 seed. That's how they were able to do it, is because there were a ton. There's no one roster that will stay the same because it's a one and done. That's why I think they got to get rid of that and just have high school kids go straight to the NBA or the G League if they want. But I think I was looking at the bracket the way it's projected. I think you have to get back to me on Sunday to ask me about a Cinderella team. Because it's so hard to predict who's going to be that Cinderella team. That's why no one's been able to win Warren Buffett's $1 million perfect bracket. Because no one can properly predict the right amount of upsets and all that. But you're definitely going to hear my Cinderella pick next week. Because this Sunday, we're going to see who's going to be in the regions. We're see we're going to see who's going to be the number one, one seeds. Who's going to be the 68 teams to make the NCAA men's basketball. Arch Madness Tournament. Up next, it's the segment for all my fellow Massachusetts residents, our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And this week... We've been talking recently about all the four teams we had Alex Barth on thanks again to Alex for coming on last week and really diving into all four teams and their expectations for upcoming seasons but they're just I, I want to talk about the Patriots and the Celtics this week because they're the two that are really making headlines Bruins obviously they're they're still a little bit inconsistent and like Alex said we're not gonna go know until they hit the postseason what this team is is really going to look like. So I want to get into the Patriots because they've started to make some offseason buzz, get some news and some rumors out there. Obviously, the big one that happened earlier this week was reuniting with their former left tackle, Trent Brown, getting him in a trade from the Raiders, and already that offensive line just looks so much better than they have. I mean, when you have the combination of Brown either at left or right tackle, then you've got Shaq Mason, you've got Isaiah Wynn. Obviously, questions are surrounding Marcus Cannon, if he'll come back. Remember, he opted out, if he's going to be able to come back. And then if you re-sign David Andrews to go with that offensive line, you've got a great line for whoever's going to be a quarterback for that team. You know, whether it's a veteran or whether it's a rookie from the draft. That's an offensive line that you can rely on. I mean, Trent Brown obviously provides that size on the edge. You can put him at right tackle. You could put Isaiah Wynn at the left tackle. Really help out with edge rushers. And there are a ton of great edge rushers in the AFC. I mean, you got TJ Watt in Pittsburgh, uh, Chris Jones from the Chiefs. I mean, Von Miller from the Broncos, Just, just to name a few of them. I mean, helping out with that edge is going to be absolutely crucial, crucial for this Patriots team. But it also, with the trade for Brown, really signals that Joe Tooney is going to be on his way out of New England. And it's tough because Tooney was one of the more consistent linemen on that O-line in helping out Cam Newton in that Patriots team. But obviously, with that consistent play comes a big market and obviously the Patriots are going into expectations that they're not going to be able to afford Tooney with the kind of upgrades that they're making like Alex said last week about defense and wide receiver and tight end like they have a ton of needs that they need to fill that doing this in a trade kind of just takes Tooney off the table and you're going on the expectation that He's going to leave for a better opportunity and a better kind of market. So it's going to be tough to see Joe Tooney leave. But when you look at what this line looks like, depending on if they can re sign their center, David Andrews, and if they can bring back Marcus Cannon, that's a great combo. And let's also not forget Mike on Wenyu. Michael Wenyu had a great year in 2020 with that shifting that the offensive line did with all the injuries and opt-outs that they had, Awenyu had a great, great year. And he might be someone to really watch out for as a possible replacement. Or even if Andrews and or Cannon don't come back to the team, you could just throw Awenyu in whatever kind of position. And that might help out. But I think having the edge set with Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn is really going to help out this team. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough, like I said, to see Joe Tooney walk out the door. But doing this trade and getting Trent Brown back on this squad is going to be huge for this Patriots team, no matter who their quarterback is. And speaking of the quarterback, we've been hearing reports, and there was actually one report that came out, I think about a week ago, that said the Patriots' plan A is to go after Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know... I would have said yes, maybe two years ago, or maybe a year ago. But I just think, I I don't think free agency or any kind of trade is the way to go to get your quarterback. I mean, this is a team that's trying to look into the future rather than a win-now scenario, I think. I think they're still trying to look for that transition balance of, okay, we just moved on from the GOAT Tom Brady And obviously, Cam Newton didn't help out in getting us our transition into the future. So let's try and do this with a young quarterback. Because remember, Jimmy Garoppolo is not that young. He's coming into his late 20s. He's got a ton of injury history. He had the ankle problem a year ago. He had a torn ACL after he got traded to the 49ers. I don't know if this is the guy that New England should really be relying on. I think they... Need to go to the draft for a quarterback, and like me and Alex talked about, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, that might be one of the two options. Because even even if you don't get the targets that you want to this off season, at least you have a future where a guy's not going to leave right away unless you see something shiny and magical. You know, to to paraphrase former Celtics coach Rick Pitino, Tom Brady ain't walking through that door. Tom Brady ain't walking through that door. But you still have Bill Belichick. You still have the the genius at the helm of head coaching position. I think just, just Garoppolo is just not the guy. And even if you did want to make a trade, you're probably going to have to throw Stephon Gilmore in, t- in that trade. And to me, I want to see the Patriots keep Stephon Gilmore because the 49ers, they would be asking for Gilmore because Richard Sherman's a free agent for the 49ers. So they're looking to fill that number one void. Gilmore follows that up. But just the way the these defensive backs for the Patriots look, I mean, you have the McCourty twins. Obviously you have to re sign Jason McCourty. You have JC Jackson, Jonathan Jones. I think you just let you just have to keep Gilmore and you have to keep him because we're hearing reports that it's the injury near the end of this past year that's really hampering his trade value. And I just say if you can get him at peak health, Because when he's healthy, he's a top-five cornerback. Top-five cornerback in this game. So why not just use him for that success? I don't see why the Patriots would want to trade him now. That's just how I see it. So I think they need a quarterback from the draft, and they need to hold on to Gilmore. They need to hold on to Gilmore unless they can get someone who's ten times better, like a Jalen Ramsey, which they're probably not going to go after so those are the news for the Patriots and where they stand heading into the beginning of the offseason next week now another team that is beginning a season is the Celtics they're beginning their second half and we got to talk about their expectations because this is a team with a ton of talent I mean like we were talking about they've got two superstars under 25 Jason Tatum Jalen Brown okay so they're gonna have to get themselves away from the pack. They gotta get away from this mid-pack that they found themselves in with the Knicks and the Heat and the Pacers and the Hornets. They gotta get themselves up there with the 76ers, with the Nets, and with the Bucks. They gotta get them in that territory because right now in that mid-pack, they're the best team. They're sitting in the four seed right now. But this is a team when you look at where they're at, you're thinking if they have two under twenty-five stars like Brown and Tatum, along with a surefire all-star point guard and Kemba Walker, this team should be at least top three. But they're sitting in the fourth seat right now. So this Celtics team is going to have to improve. I think they're going to get better, and I really do think they're going to get better, especially defensively, because they're going to start getting smart on defense with Marcus Smart returning. And that's just a guy, he's a heart and soul Doesn't fill up the statistic kind of guy. And when you see him return, you're going to see a rejuvenated ball club. Because his energy just in the locker room and on the court is just so infectious. We finally get to see the big four with him and Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. They finally get to make the floor. But the question with Smart's return is do you put him in the starting lineup? Or do you take him off the bench? Because that's the big thing. This bench, the bench in the depth has been one of the problems that the Celtics team has had, is that they're too young to be surrounding up-and-coming stars like Brown and Tatum. So they might need that spark off the bench, which we've seen Marcus Smart do in past years, especially since 2017, when he started becoming a six-man. Or do you put him in the starting lineup, which means you're going to have to take Daniel Tice or Tristan Thompson out of there and get them off the bench. Honestly, I think Tice is a great guy to come off the bench, and you got to keep Tristan Thompson in there. But it's really a big question, because the bench needs that spark. And the des- the decision will come whether you want Smart to be the spark or Tice to be the spark. I think neither of them can be the spark offensively, but I think they can definitely get better with one of them entering that role. Now... There's also guys, as I mentioned, like a lot of youth. Are, are guys like Peyton Pritchard, Shemi Ogillay, and Rob Williams going to be able to continue their hot runs? Because Pritchard played great in the first half, and so did Shemi Ogillay. Is Ogillay going to be able to keep hitting those shots? Is Peyton Pritchard going to be able to continue to drive to the lane and just get his shot? Is Rob Williams going to continue developing, being that center of the future? Which, still, I, I don't believe him to be a center. I think he's great in the power forward slot. You can't put him at a center. He's 6'8", 6'8", 6'9". I don't think you can put him at the center spot. Which also coincides with the trade deadline in two weeks. What is the Celtic general manager Danny Ainge going to do? Or what is he not going to do? And we just heard a new name get added to the market like Lamarcus Aldridge. He's up there with Andre Drummond, Nikola Vucevic, Jeremy Grant. Those guys might be too much of an asking price. Because the the way you see this core, I, I think Alex put it perfectly, and he totally changed my mind about what I was thinking, is that it depends on the package that other teams might be asking for. San Antonio, Cleveland, Detroit, and Orlando. Are they going to be asking for too much? Because... You might be wanting to put Kemba Walker in this trade or great rookie guys like Rob Williams. Do you want to put them in that package? Honestly, I think it's not enough. And I think just making a small little deal where maybe you float in a Jeff Teague or something like that, someone who's got an expiring contract, just to get maybe a better defender because – He's too inconsistent to really have a solidified rotation spot, especially with the return of Marcus Smart. But then there's also Kemba out there, who's sort of back to him old self. The decision will be, do you want to put him out there to try and get a bigger name, or do you want to keep him around and just give him a run? Because if you get rid of him, you're going to have to put Peyton Pritchard or Marcus Smart in that starting lineup for point guard. Not sure if you're going to be wanting to do that with Kemba Walker back to his old self. So that's where I stand with the Celtics, is that they got to get better defensively. That depth does need to get better. And just a small move to get some size down low will help the Celtics make a postseason run. as always to end our show it's our lol moment of the week and this is a historic nominee right here because it's not one person that's right we have a multiple player winner for this week's lol and not only that it's our first repeat lol winner so let's not keep people waiting This week's LOL moment of the week is going to the New York Mets. That's right. For the first time, an entire team has made the LOL moment of the week. Now, this is the second time in three weeks that the Mets have been featured on this segment. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Tajon Walker selecting his jersey number because of Mr. Met, the Mets mascot. But this one's a little different. I don't know if you saw the video yesterday circulating, but apparently during spring training and after one of their practices, the Mets were practicing celebrating a World Series title, like they just won the World Series. Are you kidding? What a cocky move by this Mets team. I mean, I know some experts have picked them to win the East with all the moves they've made, but... The fact that they're practicing this, I mean, I would have thought that like celebrations like this would just be on instincts right when it comes, or at least you talk about it maybe the night before. If you're in a series and you win 3-2, it's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. You, the catcher, you're going to jump into my arms and I'm going to catch you. Or you know what changed that? I'm going to jump into the catcher's arms and then everyone's going to make a dog pile. We're not going to stay on our feet and we're just going to have a lot of fun. Like, who practices this? Seriously. And I know for a fact, I'm, I'm just swinging for the fences on this one, but I know for a fact that there's no way the coaches told these guys, hey, we're going to practice when we win the World Series. Because obviously you want to have an athlete have that kind of mindset. But to actually practice it when you should be practicing hitting, defense, pitching... I mean, how much time do the Mets have on their hand? And I know they have a ton of self-confidence in the moves they made, like getting Francisco Lindor, Marcus Stroman, James McCann, Kevin Pillar, just to name a few, combine that with Jacob deGrom, Pete Alonso, Dominic Smith, Michael Conforto. I mean, are they really that confident that they're going to practice it this early on? I mean, don't think for a fact that No other team is watching this because I guarantee you at least half of the league saw this video and they see the Mets practicing, winning a world series. And they've got that little vengeance in their mind. It's almost like, it's almost like that situation in baseball where you have a guy hit a home run and then he poses. And then the next time he's up or the next batter that's up, you just throw either behind him or you hit him in the hip just to send a little message. Don't think that's on the mind of some of these teams, specifically in the NL East, because that Eastern division is stacked with the Nationals being their former champions, with an improving Philadelphia Phillies team, a Miami Marlins team that made the postseason just last year. And I know there's one team. I'm totally blanking on them right now. Uh, Someone will tell me in the comments. But that East division is stacked. So the Mets being that cocky, practicing, celebrating when they win the World Series. I shouldn't even say when they win the World Series, if they win the World Series. Because not only is the East Division stacked, but that entire National League is stacked. There are a couple teams, a couple weeks ago I had mentioned some of the favorites right now in the National League, and I totally left out A ton of teams watching out for. I mentioned the Dodgers, the Padres, the Braves. I totally forgot to mention the St. Louis Cardinals who picked up Nolan Arenado to shore up those corner infield with Paul Goldschmidt. I forgot to mention the Chicago Cubs or the Milwaukee Brewers or anyone in the East Division. I totally forgot that. So that National League is stacked. And I don't know if this is going to become sort of a routine where teams practice to win a World Series. But I know this is the first time I've ever seen someone do it. So the New York Mets, you better watch your backs for everybody in the MLB. The other 29 teams are looking at this video and are thinking, you think you're going to win the World Series because you're practicing it? We're going to upset you, and we're going to show you that that fantasy has just become, become a nightmare. All right. All 29 teams are looking at the Mets with vengeance in their eyes because they are practicing winning a World Series. But until then, the Mets can just take this trophy, put it on the mantle as this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. Make sure you're dropping those likes, those comments, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you've got to get across, just tell the whole world, shut up and let me speak.